0: Faith.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Versions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: As I was reading this, I thought, this is really insignificant. I mean, it appears insignificant. You know, why would God tell us that the man is at the, the king's gate? I mean, who cares that he's at the king's gate? But you know, this is where the whole story hinges upon this incident. The whole preservation of Israel and how God is going to use this hinges upon Mordecai being in the right place at the right time. It's the little things. The whole book hinges upon... This Jew being at the gate and overhearing an assassination attempt on the king's life.
0: In the right place at the right time. We've all heard that said countless times. Whether it's a timely bit of news, an unplanned meeting, or a quick glance that reveals impending danger, our lives are constantly impacted by events that we consider coincidental. However, as we see in the story of Esther, each of these incidents, though impacted by human choices, are all orchestrated by our wise and powerful God. Welcome back to another edition of Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Steve is currently taking us through a study of the Old Testament book of Esther. It has been a very enlightening study thus far. And I'm sure you'll enjoy today's broadcast as well. Today, he begins a new sermon entitled, The Plot of Haman. Here's Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve.
1: This past week, I received in the mail an editorial by Elwood McQuade, who is a Bible teacher on the Moody Bible Institute staff. And the editorial that was sent to me is called "A View from the Gun Barrel." Now, I don't know if this has been published in Moody Monthly or or what. It was something that Elwood McQuade sent to me, and we spoke about it. And I don't know if this has been published or not, but. This editorial is about the rising hatred towards Jewish people taking place in our nation. Rather scary editorial, and I just want to read a little bit from it. It's it's five pages long. I'm not going to read five pages, but I am going to take a few excerpts from it. He writes this, an ABC 2020 segment titled Seeds of Hate. Sketch the chilling scenario of malignant anti-Semitism festering in America's heartland. ABC contends that a loose-knit network of racist groups operating under the cover name Christian Identity is attempting to forge a union with bankrupt Midwestern farmers. They are correct, and the potential consequences of this new hatred is a threat to all of us. Identity is an old face in many parts of the world, but something new in America. For these people are not just... Acrid-mouthed Jew-haters, they are men with guns in their hands. Prominent identity personalities themselves bolster ABC's contention. Kern only has in parentheses Reverend William P. Gale says this, and this is a quote. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Well, we're changing that now. We're going to keep our liberty and give them death. Richard Butler of a group called Aryan Nation says this. For it is God's will that he is going to separate and bring forth a new nobility who is to defeat the mongrel hordes of Antichrist Jewry. At least, and now Elwood McQuaid is writing, he says, at least some uh, debt-ridden farmers are buying the message that conspiratorial Jewish bankers are funneling monies from foreclosure sales into their fat pockets. Nebraska farmer Dan Hawkins, before a 2020 camera, said this, In my opinion, the Zionist Jew is pure evil. And yes, they have designs on my farm, my neighbor's farm. They have designs on the whole earth. Now, Elwood McQuaid goes through some of the points and propositions of their thinking. And I'm not going to read you the first point, but he says, The second proposition regards Asiatics and colored peoples as subhuman, while whites are locked in a mortal struggle with Jews, the literal offspring of Satan. Identity preacher Colonel William P. Gale, Ministry of Christ Church, Mariposa, California, explains blacks and Asiatics belong to a pre-Adamic race which occupied the earth before Adam and Eve were created. Therefore, and I'm quoting, the Bible is not a history of all races. It is a history and guidebook of the white race and begins with Adam. He says this, the Bible unfolds for us the vital knowledge of our enemy's identity. Jesus identified them as the offspring of Cain who murdered Abel. Cain was the son of Eve's seduction by Satan. This makes Cain a son of Satan. It is from the Cain line that we have the so-called white Jew. Jim Wickstrom, Christian identity minister, says it, and I quote, These Jehudi, meaning Jews, these children of darkness who have, not, who have taken not only over our country, but they create war to kill our sons. End of quote. It is in this perverse spirit that George Stout, Aryan Nation's Texas leader, raises his call to war. And I quote from George Stout, Aryan warriors, do not turn away from your duty. Do not worry about the final tribulations. Face them with head held high, with praise of Yahweh on your lips and an assault rifle in your hands. Now, Edward McQuaid says, officials worry that while the Hate groups with their growing arsenals are still relatively few in number. Their potential for violence is formidable. Christians must be alerted to this menace. Ministers who faithfully preach biblical truth about God's love and, and program for the Jewish people in Israel are marked men. Listen to the identity challenge to farmers, and he quotes, and this is a direct quote, you wonder why you're losing your farms and ranches and businesses out there? Because your minister has lied to you concerning a bunch of international communist Jews that have stripped your wealth and your land from you. End of quote. McQuaid writes, you can be sure that economic hard times will amplify the message and let it be heard by the unemployed in other sectors. And he ends the article by saying that finally, he says, we must be aware of approaching or having arrived already at the point in time when we may pay a price for what we believe. Until now, support for Israel has been a popular project among fundamentalists. The depth of our dispensational commitment and love for the Jewish people will be tested when we face from our pulpits or our pews those who are already or those rather who are ready to oppose that commitment with violent acts. End of the article. The view from a gun barrel. Sounds sounds a little scary, doesn't it? It is. But should it surprise us? Absolutely not. Really should not surprise us at all. While the term anti-Semitism was first coined by a German agitator by the name of Wilhelm mar in 1879 the reality of anti-semitism goes back all the way to the formation of the jewish people with the call of of abraham and i'd like you to see that in genesis chapter 12 god has called abraham to come out from his people god is beginning to start a new work with the call of abraham abraham being a gentile there were no jews at this point abraham really was a gentile in isaac Shall your seed be called? And in Isaac, the Jewish nation really began. But with the call of Abraham, it had its formation. And God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Throughout God's word, now this is only the beginning, but throughout God's word, we we constantly hear his voice continually offering hope to Israel in anticipation of persecution for Israel. That is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. God says, fear not, I'll be with you. I will protect you. I will watch over you. Let me just share with you a few of these references. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 God says no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me declares the Lord in other words no weapon and no words will work ultimately against Israel now it doesn't mean that you you know couldn't persecute the Jewish people obviously history has shown that you could but ultimately nothing will work against Israel in terms of ultimate destruction no gun no language, none of the stuff that we read will ultimately wipe out the Jewish people. And then in Isaiah 63, verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted, that is God, and the angel of his presence saved them or delivered them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. now, the angel of his presence is none other than the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, before the incarnation and and scripture is telling us that he watches over Israel and he guarantees their survival who's watching over Israel? the Lord Jesus is watching over Israel, but I suppose that uh, that my favorite passage dealing with god 's protection of Israel is found in jeremiah thirty one verse thirty six the prophet Jeremiah who literally wept for the Jewish people, has a tremendous, tremendous word to say to them in Jeremiah 31:36. If this order departs from, from me, or if this order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Now what's he speaking about? He's speaking about in, there, in verse 35 that God is the one who gives the sun for light by day and gives the, the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. And the Lord of hosts, the Bible says, is his name. And God says, if you could wipe out the moon and the stars and the and the sun and the way that the, that the oceans roar, then you could wipe out the Jew. So what God is saying, as long as the universe exists, the Jewish people will exist. The Jew will never be destroyed from the face of the earth. And that is God's promise to the nation of Israel. Now, the question I ask that we need to ask ourselves is, why is God so, so concerned that Israel understand that, that they have his protective care? Why, is God re- why does he repeat this message so much? Why is God so interested in Israel knowing this? very simple because the history of the Jewish people consists of other nations trying to destroy them. It's as simple as that. In fact, back in Genesis chapter 15, shortly after God called Abraham, he said this in verse 13, God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Now, God told Abraham, right at the beginning, Abraham, I want you to understand that for 400 years, your people are going to be slaves in Egypt. And really, that set a precedent for the Jewish people, because they have been wanderers and sojourners all throughout their history. If you want to know why the Jew will, will never give up Jerusalem and never give up Israel, to understand their history. Their cry is never again. They are back in their land and they will stay there. But right at the beginning of their history, God predicted that they would be sojourners and they would be wanderers and they would be persecuted. David Levy writing in Israel My Glory, member of the staff of the Friends of Israel writes this, God made this astounding declaration to Abraham and for more than 3,500 years from Egypt to Europe, nations have tried to destroy the Jewish people. Although this prophecy was fulfilled when Israel was taken captive in Egypt, since that time Israel has been a sojourner in various nations for a good portion of her 3,500-year history. Nation after nation has tried to exterminate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. Blinded by anti-Semitism, they have looked on the Jewish people as the blight of the world. A simple glance at these persecutions is startling. Such nations as Egypt, Assyria, Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and Germany have all tried to destroy the Jewish people. In 70 AD, Rome destroyed Jerusalem, killing one million Jews and taking 97,000 into slavery. In 11 In 1889, when Richard the Lionhearted became king of England, he burned most of the Jewish homes in London and killed many Jews. In 1306, King Philip banished 100,000 Jews from France at a moment's notice. In 1348, Jews were blamed for the plague which broke out in Europe, and thousands were burned or tortured to death. In 1492, during the Spanish Inquisition, thousands of Jews were forced to leave Spain without their possessions. Many were taken slaves or killed as they wandered to various countries. In 1903, Russia restricted and massacred thousands of Jews, leaving them in an impoverished state. In 1933 through 1945, the Jewish population of Europe suffered its greatest persecution when Hitler destroyed 6 million Jews. History, he says, has clearly shown that nation after nation has tried to put out the apple of God's eye. So the answer is that God is so concerned that Jewish people know he's protecting them, and true to his word, that not only has he given passage after passage in the Old Testament speaking of this, but God has specifically given one book in the Bible to communicate this very message. And so I'd like you to turn to the book of Esther, as we've been studying Esther to find this out, because the book of Esther is written with one main message in mind, and the message is this, preservation through providence. God will preserve his people through providence. That's how God protects his people. That's how God, by the way, today is still protecting his people. And the Lord willing, we'll get into that in weeks to come about the modern state of Israel and some real parallels between what God is doing now and what he has done in the past. But preservation through providence. He that keepeth Israel is not taking a nap. He does not take a nap while Lebanon might attack or Jordan might attack, or Syria might attack. No, he's keeping them, and he'll go on keeping them. Now, last week in the book of Esther, we saw the promotion of Esther, how, how this beautiful Jewess and the providence of God was brought to the position of the queen of Persia. At that time, the greatest Gentile empire known to man in terms of, of outreach and in terms of, of power over nations Persia. And here is a Jewess who in the providence of God ascends to that position over one of the greatest Gentile powers of all times. Just incredible. So that was the promotion of Esther. Tonight, we want to begin to look at the plot of Haman. He is the adversary of the story and the man who wants to exterminate all the Jews. He is the Hitler of his day, and we'll only see a little bit of it. We, we will not be able to see all of it tonight, but you'll begin to get a feel for the, for the plot unfolding in the adversary. So we want to look at the attempt to kill the king and the anger of Haman and how they fit together. The attempt to kill the king. Throughout the book of Esther, and we said this over and over again, but it's worth saying again, we never hear God's name mentioned, never. But with the eye of faith, we see him working, don't we? We may not hear his name or read it, but we see him by the eye of faith working offstage, behind the scenes and the shadows to accomplish his plan to preserve Israel. That's the remarkable truth of this book. He that keeps Israel is working behind the scenes to keep Israel. And God knows all about what's going to happen because he's not asleep. It's not taking him unaware. So before Haman plots to destroy Israel, God's invisible hand moves in the course of human events. Now let's pick up chapter from chapter 2, at verse nineteen, this is where we left off last week, so we're just picking it up in our Bible study. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting in the king's at the king's gate. Esther had not made had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her, as she uh, as she had done when under his care. Now we left off last week that the king. Um, delights in Esther, and he has made her the queen over over Persia, and he holds a banquet, a feast in her honor, Esther's feast. And basically what verse 19 is saying, that the other uh, women, they were, they were turned down. You know, They, they could, were no longer in, uh, in a position to be possibly queen of Persia, and that's what happens. But what we want to notice really is verse 20, because now we find that Mordecai is sitting at a place called the or verse 19. He's sitting at the king's gate. Now, if you don't understand, as I didn't until I studied this uh, a little bit about what the Bible means by the king's gate in ancient times, you might get the wrong impression. Mordecai. Is sitting there, and uh, it does not mean that he's trying to get into the palace, kind of like a pauper sitting outside waiting for someone to notice him. That's not the thought here. Nor is the thought that Mordecai is, uh, is lazy. He's just sitting around doing nothing. No, no, no. In the ancient Near East, the gate was the place where legal matters were settled. The gate was the courthouse of the ancient world. Most of the cities were walled, and everybody eventually had to pass through the gate of the city at one time. And you didn't go out or into the city except you went through that gate. And so it was a very good place to hold court. Probably, and we're not told this specifically, but I think it makes sense that through Esther's influence, Mordecai has been appointed as a as a judge or a magistrate. He's he's in politics now. He's at the king's gate because he belongs there. He's a judge. But even though she arranged arranged for this, it doesn't mean that she let her Jewish identity be known. In fact, verse 20 uh, says that that she did not let her identity be known, but she probably pulled some strings and said, I want this man in this position. Now, as I was reading this, I thought, this is really insignificant. I mean, it appears insignificant. You know, why would God tell us that the man is at the, the king's gate? I mean, who cares that he's at the king's gate? But you know, this is, this is where the whole story hinges upon this incident. The whole preservation of Israel and how God is going to use this hinges upon Mordecai being in the right place at the right time. It's the little things. The whole book hinges upon this Jew being at the gate and overhearing an assassination attempt on the king's life. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. In other words, they wanted to kill him. They didn't want to just put their hand on him. They wanted to kill him. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Quite frankly, assassination attempts on ancient kings was a common occurrence in Persia. Uh, We know this from from secular historians, that, that basically you could pick up, if they had a newspaper, you could pick it up every Thursday to find out who attempted to kill the king and what assassination attempt was foiled. It was, a, it was a common occurrence. This was not out of the ordinary. This was your normal government officials getting disturbed to the king and plotting to kill his life. In fact, kings spent most of their time or much of their time simply trying to find out who was going to try to kill them next. If you were living in those days, you would not want to be a Persian king. That's the last thing you'd want to be because uh, you, would, you would have your life threatened all the time.
0: King Xerxes of Persia does not appear from history to have been a king who was beloved by his people. In fact, Xerxes did eventually die from an assassin's knife, and his own son was behind the plot. This was some years after the plot that Mordecai had uncovered. So it does not appear that Mordecai sought to preserve the king because he was especially fond of him. It is much more likely that Mordecai reported the plot because he knew that if Xerxes died, Esther would no longer be queen, And he would no longer have connections in the palace. Still, regardless of his motives, God used them for his purposes. He made certain that the scenario unfolded in just the right manner to advance his great purpose, to deliver and preserve the nation of Israel from the danger that was to come. And speaking of danger to Israel, Steve, you opened this sermon with a news report from some years ago about radical anti-Jewish factions in the United States. As you look at the social and political climate of today, do you
1: think that we should still be concerned about this? I do. Uh, Perhaps it's not coming just from the United States. We see certainly from the Arab countries the great threat of Iran. Uh, the whole peace, supposed peace process with uh, the Palestinians is not going very well. Um, basically, I think the world would love to jump on an opportunity to try to destroy Israel. We know that that's not going to happen. At least God's not going to allow them to be destroyed. But I think the, uh, the, the world's view of Israel is very, very negative. And so I think we always have to be on the alert for anti-Semitism, which is the hatred of Jewish people.
0: And I'm sure our listeners, Steve, can appreciate your own personal interest in this animosity toward Israel and the Jewish people. Thanks for those thoughts. Now, Pastor Steve will have much more to say on this topic in our next broadcast as he demonstrates that the feeling which the world has toward the Jews is unconsciously driven by a satanic hatred of the Jews. It is ultimately Satan who despises the people of Israel because of their position before God, and he wants to destroy them out of pure spite and anger toward God himself. It's a key truth that helps to explain the otherwise inexplicable world sentiment towards this tiny nation. We hope you'll join us next time to learn more. As we close the program today, we'd like to remind you that Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. We depend upon the financial gifts of our listeners to help meet the daily costs of producing and airing these radio programs. Many of you have partnered with us in this endeavor, and we thank you. But if you have been blessed by the biblical teaching that is made available regularly here on verse by verse and have never given, then we simply ask you to prayerfully consider. Then we simply ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us financially to help maintain this ministry. Your gift of any amount will be greatly appreciated. You can give today by calling our telephone number, 727-239-0306. And for those who are interested in obtaining more resources from Verse by Verse, we offer a free news journal. These periodic journals are filled with helpful and informative articles that we think will be an aid in your walk with Christ. Those who receive the Verse by Verse news journal also occasionally receive Other free resources from verse by verse. You can sign up for the journal when you give us a call or by visiting our website. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.